Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, it's my good buddy Nate Tyson. Nate, how you doing, man? I'm good. This is uh, we're back to normal, which is yeah, not I know. Like this, know. Uh, that's what's kind of funny. It's like this is the normal setting. It was so funny, even like when we were sitting there doing the live show, like just even turning and talking to you, like felt weird. Like it was just like, oh my god, you're right there. Like we're actually talking. It's not like my cat's meowing in the background or something like that. Like just like <laughs> trying to figure out where to put the microphone. It's like, oh no, I can actually just talk. <laughs> It's nice because this is the last pod you and I will record before I move. And my new house has, I have an office. It's going to be a studio. It's going to be closed off. I'll not be doing it for my kitchen table. So hopefully, even if we're apart from now on, the setup can be a little more advanced than it's yeah. been over the last year as I've been I've, crammed into this apartment in pandemic life where I don't have no space of my own to actually record the shows. I'm in no man's land right now. I just moved and I, I'm currently... My laptop is sitting on a chair under three board games um, or on top of three board games. I have like a crate where the microphone's sitting on. And then I have like the chair that we used to have in our bathroom to like where my wife would do like her makeup in the mirror. Like she had a chair in there. Like that's what I'm sitting in right now. So we're making this work. <laughs> we're making this work. But it's going to be an office soon with no cat problems. So it'll be good. And I'll be in the same boat. I My yeah. computer with the camera on it right now is on two of my girlfriend's yoga blocks because all of our books are packed. So that's the Perfect. state we're in. It's yeah. post-draft, pre-move for both of us. <laughs> A lot of moving pieces. And we're going to try to pick up some of those pieces here right now and do a draft recap of sorts. Obviously, we responded to the first round live. It was incredibly fun. Uh, it's a night I'll never forget for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> we'll talk about the Bears a little bit because I do think they're going to come up in one of the topics that we want to discuss here. But rather than pigeonhole us into one any one thing here, I just wanted to do big picture draft takeaways. And this might be a little bit different than some of the other draft shows that you'll listen to or some of the other draft recaps that you'll read. I'm not a fan of immediate positives or negatives about drafts. I yeah. think that you can judge process and we'll get into some of that. But I just, draft grades are not my favorite way to do this. I understand why they're valuable. I understand why people do them. It's not the way I like to talk about it. I just like to do takeaways. What did you learn about a team's thought process? What they value? What they want to do? That's how I like to talk about this stuff. And we're going to do some of that. We'll talk about some of our favorite moves, our favorite fits. You know, you especially have done so much work about the skill position players in this draft. I think you have some insights that I don't have about players drafted in the second, third, fourth round. So we'll talk about some of that. But I wanted to go more big picture. And my first one, I mean, obviously, they were at the top of the drafts. I think they were at the forefront of people's minds. They had an extra first round pick. So they're one of the teams that really control this draft is that the Jets are hell bent. Come hell or high water, they are going to surround Zach Wilson with some help on offense. And I think that is a correction from what happened with Sam Darnold. Maybe an overcorrection. Maybe they did too much to put some guys around Zach Wilson on that side of the ball. But it is clear with the moves they made this weekend, they are not going to 
let Zach Wilson fail because they didn't devote enough resources to his supporting cast. Yeah, even the the trade back up for the offensive lineman, it was like I mean, yeah, that's okay. the thing that signifies it the most. It's like okay, they they're they're there's being smart about this. It's like okay, even we it's gonna I'm cracking a joke at Zach Wilson's expense. It's like what 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 are the negatives with him? Is that he had a domino line and ball winners that are winning every ball? Okay, <laughs> so let's give him a do, domino offensive line. No, but it's yeah, uh, we can nitpick whatever quarterback they picked. There's a lot of good quarterbacks at the top, but putting Vera Tucker around him. I know they gave up a decent amount, but it's like, I I'm fine with that trade because I think the prospect is a real prospect. And I know that's kind of results oriented thinking, but I get where they're coming from with it. Even though the second round pick with Elijah Moore makes all the sense in the world. I mean, just receiver wise, it's always going to be situational about where these guys fit in and also scheme wise. And of course, quarterback that throws to them, but at least Zach Wilson. Now they, he has a ball winner with Denzel Mims. Corey Davis is just, I mean, at least a good starter and it's e- intermediate to that. He could kind of do a little bit of everything and also brings physicality. And then you get Elijah Moore, who I really liked him. I really like this fit. I can easily picture all three. I see the synergy with it. Like, you know, the ball winning out on the outside, Elijah Moore, even though he is smaller, he's a competitive and tough dude. Like he plays big. He's just a football player. Like that's how I've tried to keep describing him. Cause he's just a fun player like you know it's it's hard to pigeonhole him. i he probably will have to make a living at on the slot just because that's how it is but it's like i i don't want to pigeonhole him that much because he just he does a little bit more than what you picture with a slot guy you know he's tough over the middle he can find those soft zones but he also you know does enough has enough moxie and size or uh, strength play strength to win on the outside a little bit just a little bit but i like that i like that but fit. he doesn't have to here i mean if you draft him in the second to. round you're not drafting him 20th overall Correct. needing him to be your number one receiver it yep. fits with the other pieces they have i'm interested in what this means for crowder and yeah. is they somebody that they release can they get some sort of late round pick for him he's a 10 million dollar base salary this year so he may not garner much interest at that price on the trade market yeah. but I mean, this is something that if you wanted to save that $10 million now, you might feel good about it because Easily. they have three starting caliber receivers and they signed Keelan Cole in free agency. Yeah. So they have a lot of talent there now. The Vera Tucker thing, I understand why it's not smart process to trade what amounts to a third and a fourth round pick to move up for an interior offensive lineman. I get that. I want that to be clear right away. He's really good. And yeah. he is—he was clearly the best interior offensive lineman in the draft. And I know saying a prospect is safe is <laughs> fool's <laughs> errand and famous last words. Yeah, he seems like an incredibly high floor guy. And yep. pairing him next to Becton for the next five years, and just having two blocks of granite on that side for your second overall pick—that's what I'm saying. When it might be an overcorrection, Joe Douglas is looking at this, and he is saying if. Zach Wilson fails. It's because it's not going to be because I gave I didn't give him enough help, and yes. that I think that's what drives that sort of move. And you can look at a rookie quarterback contract a couple different ways. Do you look at it as a way to build up your defense? Do you say we have all these resources, we have this extra money, how do we spend? And the Jets, from all that we've seen so far, obviously they signed Carl Lawson in free agency, but to go get Corey Davis to try, use a second round pick on Elijah Moore and trade back up in the first round to draft Elijah Vera Tucker. They are clearly saying we're going to use those resources to insulate Wilson as much as we possibly can. After everything that happened with Sam Darnold, I certainly don't blame them. Yeah. 
I think Joe Douglas was like, I never want to be put in that situation ever again. So <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to make sure that I never have to make the decision on whether the quarter it's the quarterback's issue or is it the situation's issue. And I, you know, of course we're all going to knock, oh, we shouldn't trade up for a player and everything. Obviously the answer is don't only trade up for a quarterback, but it's like, at least they didn't trade up for, or they took a running back with their second first round pick. They didn't trade up for a receiver. It's like, okay, the process is better than so many other teams show when they're in this type of situation. Even the guy, the running back they took later on, Michael Carter. Wanted to ask you about him. So how yeah. do you think he fits with what they like to do? Because I know you like him. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I, I don't think he's ever going to be a star or anything, but it's just, he, I actually, even I was just right before the show, I was re- rereading my write-up on him. And then I said, I think he is kind of scheme-proof in the sense that he shows natural vision and that that uh, ability to get north quickly that kind of applies to any type of run that you want to run. But that applies the most in a zone scheme. And guess what? You know, they have a, they have a LaFleur yeah. as offense coordinator. So, you know, I think we're going to see a little bit of that. I love the fit. Uh, he's not going to be a bell cow, but he has, you know, that just that good vision that translates he sets up blocks um, in North Carolina scheme. It was a lot more gap counter scheme with all the RPOs and you could see him. He has that kind of patience to wait for the puller and to plant his foot as you know, he sets up the linebacker to get blocked and then just gets in underneath him. That's, that's a nice natural thing that you'd see a guy show and he has legit three down ability. He wasn't asked to run a ton of routes in North Carolina scheme because there's so many RPOs or asked to pass protect, but he has that kind of natural body control. It's not, it's kind of like Kamara. Uh, Alvin Kamara in the sense that it's not smooth, you know, it's not that overly twitchy, but it's just always under control. And he has that kind of upright and all of a sudden, boom, boom. He has just one, two moves. And it's just like, wow, he's moving a lot quicker than you realize. Um, He's not Kamara's caliber. He's a tinier player than that, but that kind of same style of player. I do think he has route running potential to be a true three down back and pass protection. He's going to need work almost, I would say 95% of college running backs need work on pass protection. So he's going to need that, that work, but I do think he showed good eyes when he did have to do that. So it's like, okay, you can probably still stay on the field and be a legit three down guy. Do I think he's gonna be a 20 touch guy? No, but he's gonna be valuable for those 10 to 15 touches that he does get. All right. I want to talk about a couple of the other teams that I guess kind of own this draft or we, we expected to own this draft in terms of the draft capital they had in the top 50. That includes the Jaguars. Obviously we hit on Travis Etienne on Thursday night when we discussed it, we thought this might happen. You know, we were looking yeah. at the players available, what Urban Meyer might prioritize. It is not surprising to see them draft Travis Etienne in the first round because he represents such a pop of speed in the way that Urban Meyer might find attractive. It's the contrast to what we saw with the Jets, right? The trade-up is not great, but it's still better process than drafting a running back at 25 when you already have a good running back. So that one, questionable. They draft Tyson Campbell in the second round at 33. Probably says something about what they view, see how they view C.J. Henderson in this Mm -hmm. regime. The fact that they went out and they signed Shaq Griffin, used the 33rd overall pick on a corner, Maybe Henderson moves to the slot and then they drafted Walker Little at 45. Makes sense to me. When they re-signed Cam Robinson or then they gave him the franchise tag, I liked it because it doesn't force you to find a starting tackle in the draft. But if you want to draft a guy that you think is a better long-term answer with everything I've heard about Little, a lot of upside, a lot of question marks, mm-hmm. this allows them to bring him along at a decently slow pace. They drafted Andre Sisco, a safety from Syracuse in the third round who could potentially start for them with Rayshon Jenkins, who they signed in free agency. So rebuilding the secondary a little bit, going to get an unnecessary shiny toy on offense that they probably didn't need an ETN. But for the most part, I think 
they spent their resources in the way we probably would have expected coming in. And Urban Meyer came out afterward and said the guy they really wanted that was not there anymore was Kadarius Tony, which I'm sure you are not surprised about because that also seems pretty on brand. It does. God damn it, Urban. Uh, but, the, <laughs> the, with, but, you know, like the Walker Little pick, it's like, okay, that's good process to me because it's when you take a more project T type of tackle, especially. I think what happens is so many of these guys get thrown into fire as a rookie and then it's just totally. like, it's, it's sink or swim, baby. <laughs> you know, let's, let's see if that you can develop in the fire, but it's like, okay, now he doesn't have to be the day one starter and he yep. could be your swing tackle. That's, that's, that's good process to me on the flip side. Yes. Yeah, Travis Etienne in the first round, he's saying, oh yeah, we got Carlos Hyde and, and James Robinson and he's gonna be our third down back. Travis Etienne hasn't passed protected like once in like four years. Like that is like his absolute glaring weakness is he is awful in pass protection. And that's me saying also, that. Also drafting a guy in, at 25th overall that you're gonna use one down every four probably is exactly. extracting a lot of value from somebody. Yeah, it's, I, I love, I like the player. That's the thing with Etienne and I, I had a late second round grade on him. Okay, put it this way. Him and Michael Carter, I had the same grade on. If that one got picked later on, one got picked in the first round. So that kind of really sums it up because they have limitations. They can't play all three downs. If you're going to take a running back early, he better play all three downs because otherwise he's a package player. And as much as the explosive, the home run ability, that's great. I, I just, yeah, I didn't really like the pick. And also you have James Robinson, an undrafted free agent contract, and he's a three down running back. And it's like, it's just a lot of bad process there. And I'm still trying to grasp it. Uh, but yeah, like, that's so funny, though, the quote with Tony, because it's just like, of course, of course, that's the other player you're looking for. You're trying to find. He just wants to run jet sweeps. That's all he's picturing. He just thinks he needs a guy to run jet sweeps. And it's like you can find those guys in fourth, fifth, Anywhere. sixth round. Anywhere. 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 Not with your 25th overall pick in a rebuilding team. So wasn't was not a huge fan of that. Still love Trevor Lawrence, though. <laughs> Even if we don't love the value, and we didn't really yeah. talk about Trevor Lawrence at all on Thursday no, because I mean. it wasn't a surprise, and we came nope. on after that pick had happened. So how do you think, even if we don't love the process of how we necessarily got here, the way they've built around Lawrence and what they have and what he's stepping into, how confident do you feel about their ability to be a pretty good offense in year one with the pieces that were already in place? Oh, Trevor's going to make everything look good. Yeah. <laughs> I think no matter what they put around them. So what they do want to get out, I think is like they're, they're he's going to get out of it. So honestly, they're putting it on their, on the coaches. I mean, cause Trevor's mm-hmm. going to like, if you're going to go boom, 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 I'm going to run this scheme. I'm going to run this concept. I think I have a faith in Trevor Lawrence to run it how you want to run it. So honestly, it's up to the coaches now, but it actually was more telling to me that, you know, they have bevel there. They, have, you know, Schottenheimer there and it's like Urban Meyer's fingerprints are all over the offense still it's like you know that was very telling to me so now I'm really curious of what they are going to run like is it going to be what it looks like is my biggest question because I have I think it's a total Frankenstein's monster yes I know and that can be good or bad yeah yeah that can go one of two ways who when they have an argument about what play goes in or what concept goes in or what they want to run who has final say who goes who yeah that's going to be really curious um i do think whatever they put around trevor lawrence he's going to run and it's going to look great um so that's why it's hard it, it's not as easy to tell how bad or how good it is uh because you're always going to have that in the back of your mind i do think they're going to be fine i think they have enough offensive minds to make this work um i just you know they just have a weird uh, uh concept of value at this point but maybe they'll learn so speaking of teams that control the draft a little bit, the Dolphins also four picks in the top 50. 
it's hard not to get excited about what this roster looks like on paper. I mean, you. I know we don't love Jalen Waddle at six, yeah, just because we've talked about this speed yeah. and where you can find it and what he provides you. But there's no denying that with him and Wolf Fuller, they're significantly more explosive than they were. So after moving on from Van Noy and Shaq Lawson, edge was a need for them. They went and got Jalen Phillips, who is arguably the most talented edge mm-hmm. player in this entire class, even with the questions about him. So you check those two boxes off. Javon Holland at 36. I don't know a ton about Javon Holland. I've read up a lot about him since the, the move, but my understanding can play over the slot, can play center mm-hmm. field, not necessarily a box guy, but versatile ball hawk too. Just a ton of ball production at, at when he was at Oregon. And it's funny because it almost reminds me of the scouting report you would have used for Xavier Howard when he was at Baylor. Not the greatest athlete, ran in the four fives, I want to say. Tons of ball production when he was at Baylor. I think yeah. he had nine interceptions total over his last two seasons. So a guy that is around the ball, makes plays, even if there are some concerns about just how explosive he really is. And then they drafted Liam Eikenberg at 42, who, again, production. The guy has just yeah. started multiple years at left tackle for Notre Dame. Some some legitimate questions about him, I think. The mm-hmm. length is terrifying. Obviously glaring. <laughs> 30, 32 and 3 eighths inch arms, and it shows up on Ooh. tape when you watch him. He yep. also, Brandon Thorne and I didn't really get into this when we talked about the, the tackles, but he has a weird quirk where he punches with both hands. And when you're yeah, doing that, that, it's you put yourself in a very bad position. You can, because you can get your head over your toes. Yep. If you get a swipe from a guy who really knows how to use his hands, your quarterback is about to lose his helmet. It's a bad, Quick. bad situation. Yes. So can he start to learn to use some independent hands? But his feet are very good. He's solid. So if yes. they view him yeah. as a tackle, which we've seen tackles with short arms succeed, but it's still a longer road to get there. Do you move Robert Hunt inside? It's just adding pieces to your offensive line. They've spent a lot on it with Hunt in the second round, with Jackson last year. Now you add Eichenberg. But if they get five quality starters out of this, that's the goal. And I just yeah. think overall, there are very few holes on this roster. You're building depth at important places like the defensive backfield with a guy like Holland. I mean, this is what this process was supposed to net them. It was supposed to net them a roster that looks like the one they have on paper right now. What Right now, if you were looking at just your questions about the Dolphins, the things you still need answered, I want to say outside of Tua's development, because yeah, that's obviously the number obvious one. answer. Yeah. But on the re- for the rest of the personnel, are there other aspects of this roster that you still need to see more from, or do you feel pretty good about most of the boxes that they've checked? Weapons-wise, I feel good. I still want to see how the O-line looks this year. I mean, that's sure. the obvious thing. I, I I have to. And even tight end, they took Hunter Long um, and, and in the third round, I believe. And Hunter Long, they're going to probably slot in at Y because they have to because Kasicki is just a receiver glorified as a tight end. He's going to need a lot of work still to sustain in the run game and, and all that. So if they do slot him at Y, so maybe they're going to spread and basically run a glorified 10 personnel. Who knows what they're going to do? But they got speed. Um, so I, I just need to see the offensive line. I think I trust what, Flor- uh, what Coach Flores has done down there and defensive-wise because two years in a row, they've played hard and they play intelligently. So now that they're just accumulating talent, I'm just going to trust it. Just like a simple totally. math game. Simple math game, competent coaching with more talent with the, who they want. Okay, probably going to get keep keep being good and productive. Um, Holland's going to be interesting because, yeah, like you said, he, he can play over the slot. What do Patriots like to do with some of their safeties? They play three safety looks or they have a that kind versatility, of versatility, baby. Versatility and a ball hawk, which shows spatial awareness 
and toughness over the middle. I know we talk about that with the receivers, but same with safeties and these big nickel types. They have to navigate a lot of bodies. They have to read the quarterback and understand concepts that are happening all between them because you have to be that's why the nickel or the apex position, however, whoever plays out there is such a tough position. There's a lot of shit coming at you. You're an outside corner. They only can go so many ways. You're yeah. a nickel income anyway, and then you have to defend the run. So it's like, whew, that's a lot of just stuff that can come at you. So if you get a guy that's even just good at that, and doesn't have to be a star, that unlocks a defense because it just the looks. If you go big nickel or you go two safety look, three safety look, and then, and then as an offensive play card, I'm like, well, that guy can do anything. He's kind of a gadget or he's kind of a Swiss army knife. It doesn't really give me something to attack. So I do like that. Eichenberg, hey, just invest in offensive line. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. Even with the guy with limitations, worst case, I mean, depth. It's at the Maybe worst you think case he's a depth. guard. Maybe Hunt stays outside and you think he's a guard. It's just versatility is not the worst thing at O-line. <laughs> it's, and, uh, injuries happen on the offensive line. They happen at every position, but injuries on offensive line, we have seen it time and time again, devastate an entire team, not just an offense, just a team because it just takes the wind out of your sails. So they're investing in these premium positions. He might be like Riley Reef, where he just always has those limitations, and 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 but he maximizes it. He does play fast. He has good eyes. So you know, it's fine. That's where you're going to get at that type of pick. You're not going to get, if he was a freak, you'd gotten top 20. <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of one of those things, but I'm fine with it. I, you see the vision. Yeah, of course we're going to talk. I'm a, have a blemish with Waddle in the top 10, but you know what? They needed something like that. That's where they wanted to get them. They have the draft capital to kind of do those types of things. Just like we talked about the other day. So I uh, will have a ton of conversations about what their offense might look like and how yeah. we get the most out of Tua moving forward here. I think it's one of the more fascinating questions about the entire NFL is yep. not only his development, but the plan for his development. They're set up there with the multiple offensive coordinators and the revolving door that's been there at that play caller spot. I mean, it is because so many other aspects of what they've done are what you'd want a team to do. They've followed yep. good process in so many ways. So now... That's really the question is, is this the final little piece they can figure out with both the staff, how they distill the offense for him, how they construct it, all of that stuff. It is one of the bigger things we're going to have to figure out here over the next six months, but we've got a lot of time to get there. <laughs> What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend, show up for yourself. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. One of my other takeaways is that the Browns and the Chargers did nothing to slow down the hype terrain this weekend for me and I think for a lot of other people. Yeah. So we discussed the Greg Newsom pick at 26. 
a pick that I love. I mean, a guy that is very comfortable in zone coverage, really good feet, clearly plays with great awareness, and they're going to run a ton of zone coverage yeah. in, in that Joe Woods defense. And I, we've talked about this too. It's just slotting guys down. Now that you have Newsom in there, he's probably going to be their second outside corner. Doesn't need to be if he's not ready. They have Greedy Williams there. But I think ideally for them, Williams would be their fourth corner. They have Troy Hill that they signed in free agency. So now instead of relying on Greedy Williams, he's your fourth corner, which bumping those guys down is really nice. At 52, they get, I think in a lot of people's minds, one of the best values in the entire draft getting Jeremiah Wusukoromo at 52. There are some people that had him in the top 20. Mm-hmm. And you can understand how this happens, right? You have a guy without a defined position in the NFL. They're going to be coaching staffs when they get involved in the process that when they're looking at this guy, they think, well, he can't do anything. I uh, he, he doesn't fit what we do. And so he's just going to fall off some boards and fall way down some boards. And so that's how I think you get this situation with a guy that, some people love, some people don't like because there's so many questions about where he's best and what he can do. And with the Browns, I just thought in their minds, it was whatever. I mean, yeah. we'll find a way to use a guy with this sort of talent. And they traded the equivalent of the 190th pick in the draft to move up to get him. That's by the Chase Stewart chart. I think they would tell you it was a seventh round pick according to their math. They'll trade a seventh round pick to go up and get a guy like this. And what I find so interesting about this kind of talks about similar to what we're talking about with Holland. The Browns spent this offseason adding layers to their defensive personnel. So, all right, what is a Wusu Kormo for the Browns? He's a tacked on piece to different personnel. He can be, if you want to, let's say a team lines up in 11 and they like running at you when you're in base. If he's your third linebacker now and he can be over the slot, there are runs in 11 personnel that look a lot worse now because he's your slot defender. It's just those little tiny tweaks to personnel groupings. They have three safeties they like now. Now, what it, their, their corner depth is so much better. They just have layers of flexibility and complementary pieces at every level of their defense now. That's how they've built all offseason. If this is a guy that you pick at 52 and think, oh, he's going to start right away. We need him to be a contributor, all of that. It's not even almost true. They can spend all of training camp with this guy who has tons of talent and coverage ability on the second level and just experiment. Can he do this? Can he do that? Oh, we can't do that. Let's not have him do that. That's the luxury when you have a deep roster and you can chase talented players like this. Yeah, I we look at it so many times with tweeners on offense, like Rondell Moore with the Cardinals. Yep. Okay, how does he fit in? Oh, okay. Well, oh, that's a good situation for him because now he doesn't have to win on the same thing with defensive guys. Same yep. exact thing. I mean, same. This is the same equivalent to Rondell Moore, just on defense. It's a shorter, versatile guy that's explosive and play. You know, just has these weird combination of traits that makes him a hard of evaluation. But you know, he's a good football player. So it's. But like you're saying, if you're in a situation where you can guide this guy along and he doesn't have to slot in and you're like, man, this guy is going to have to start day one for us. That's the tough situation. You're gonna, but when you take him at the end of the second, that's great. When you take him top 15, then you're like, yeah, we're kind of like it's yeah, Isaiah, it could, when, you, when he's Isaiah Simmons, it's a, it's a completely different conversation. Exactly. And it's it's one of those where it's like, that's the bet worth making. The pot might be the same, but the chips that I put into it are a lot less. And that's yep. how you have to look at it. 
it's the reward can be the same. And if you have a situation or a team like the Browns are like, all right, my, our defense, we're still figuring out what it is, but at least it's, we know we're versatile, or at least we have a willingness to be versatile or a willingness to think outside the box on how to use these guys. There's nothing worse than, I mean, the offense equipment is the Jaguars taking Travis Etienne because they need a jet sweep guy. It's like, come on, just, just in the NFL, you can't always get your perfect player. You have to be able to adapt to what you have. And the best coaches do that. And that's just one of those things where it's like they get a great player and it's like, I want, I'm curious how they are going to use them because they have all those safeties that might have overlap with that. But that's, what's awesome is that it can be so situational and it can be so game planning. And it's like, they're just giving themselves more tools to work with. And then this guy also is getting in a situation where it's like, he can add to his own toolbox or get bigger and yada, yada, yada. But it's just, it's a win-win. It's one of those, mat, you know, those matches where player and situation that's going to work out. I really do think so. Cause he's just a really fun player. The way they've built this offseason, in their minds, they want to be a top five offense this year, which I think is not unreasonable. You know, they, you would expect maybe some regression from how the good they were in the second half of last season. They didn't have Odell Beckham. And if you look at the overall numbers that they had last year on offense, that month where they were playing in monsoons and playing like mm-hmm. shit is a part of their season long stats. They, in their minds, that is an outlier. And they can be a true top five offense this year. If you're a true top five offense, which they have the personnel to be, by the way, what do you need to be on defense? You need to be average and a little bit volatile. And that is what they've given themselves this year. They went and got Clowney to be an interior spinner rusher in packages and just stir shit up. They went and built their depth in the secondary. They just want to have answers on defense to be able to get to a certain level top 12 top 15 as long as we're in that group and their offense can be as good as they want it to be that's a super bowl contender and that is how they're thinking about this stuff and i think the little spice they dropped into the offensive part of this little stew is very fun they went and got anthony schwartz at 91 who i know you really like build this a speed guy fastest guy in the entire draft offensively but you think he can be a little bit more than that don't you I do. I think this is what people wanted Henry Ruggs to be a little bit. It's it's except it's is, at ninety one. It's at ninety one, not twelve or eleven. It was, eleven. Yeah. Eleven. It's funny actually. I think Schwartz was ninety one on our overall board or ninety two. So it's like I felt really really good about this. Um. So I. But yeah, I am high on Schwartz. I yeah, he is a track guy, and these are usually the guys I hate. I'm like track background. Oh my god, he's not going to play tough. He's going to be stiff hipped and straight line. He's going to be thin built. He is thin built, uh, like thinly built. He has a track background and not just like a track background where it's like, oh, he runs in college, like world class, world record tra- track background. He set the youth record in the 100 meters and for the world, like the like, which is incredible. But at the Auburn offense, the, the quarterback situation was awful. Um, Auburn's offense is just very, it's a glorified option offense out of the gun. That's why Gus Malzondio, he it was very revolutionary, but he hasn't changed shit and forever. Um, but it's, it's, you know, so he didn't run, run a lot of routes, you know, it was vertical and then he'd run the jet sweep a lot and run it to the flat. It's everything that came after that. So obviously route writing is going to be, going to be something needs to improve on. But but he lined up in the slot a lot, didn't he? And Which it was is really yes, interesting. It was our sell routes and everything. And that's exactly what I was going to say is that on those routes, he, he was bending and moving. Yeah. And then he would catch the ball and turn and get up field. And also, it's he's thin. He can't do it. But he plays tough. 
he'll lower his shoulder and try to like run through a guy as opposed to normal most track guys is that they get tapped and they just kind of fall down like my cat and it's like you know but with him it's it's he's actually willing to lower his shoulder can he do it no but at least he has that mindset he's a willing blocker can he do it not all the time but he tries to but it's like okay that's his mindset so that's a mindset that usually shows that he wants to work on his game because he's trying he's trying he's trying he was not put in a fun situation they auburn had another great receiver seth williams that guy shut it down half the season and Anthony Schwartz was just going, 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 trying to trying to get better, trying to get better. That's good stuff. I just think no matter what, he's going to be useful posting over a guy because he actually has natural hands. Like that ball, when he snatches, uh, you can see it on all the jet sweep flat routes, basically, that he would catch. He's extending and naturally snagging it, and he's looking upfield to get north. And it's not none of those double catches that, you know, it's comfortable hands. So I just think there's more to this guy. I think uh, even when I wrote him up, I said, this guy has, if he goes into a situation that they have two other guys and he's the number three cherry on top, he's going to unlock everything because I, there's more to him. than and that's exactly what he is. And guess where he went? <laughs> Cleveland yep. Browns with Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, all working underneath. And it, it's just like, yeah, that's going to be a great fit. I can already picture it on a half, all that half roll stuff, you know, that they run and just like him taking the top off for everybody else and then catching a couple bombs from Baker. It's like, it's, it's a great fit. Um, I just, I really like Schwartz. He was probably my favorite burner of the draft, but I do think he's just more of a football player than these usual track guys are. And I think that's what they would tell you that when they turned on the tape, they were surprised about how often he was inside, how often he was doing stuff that wasn't just speed based. And they did not have that post element to their offense last year, especially after Odell went down. But even when Odell was there, you don't want him being that guy. No, you don't want your number one receiver being that speed option. Take the top off guy. You want him doing everything else. So so on those concepts, the post is the alert, but the number one is the over. So you want your best player to be the number one, not the alert. (laughs) So yeah, we want Odell on those overs. (laughs) And that's the nice part about this. And this to me is the perfect example. And we've talked about this a million times of speed as seasoning where he makes everything else taste a little bit better. Everybody else gets to be a truer version of themselves and settle in to a more appropriate role into what they should be within the offense when you add this dynamic to everything that the Browns will want to be. I, I love it. And I it's again, it's just a perfect compliment to the guys they already have. It really is. Let's stay on things I'm excited about. And that is the Chargers draft. We talked about Slater on Thursday to get a starting caliber left tackle at 13 when it's the last thing you need on offense is just yes. real nice. Real nice. nice. He will he will step in day one. They were very excited about him. Then they drafted Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round. Yeah. Need. If you're looking at it, they were after Kyle Fuller. They did not get him. This is the one spot on their in their defensive secondary. You need somebody right now. This guy is all instincts and he's, playmaking. He's a football player, man. It, 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 <laughs> and that it's so funny because I'm with Staley. And, and that staff there, even with Ronaldo Hill and even Jay Rogers, who's their defensive line coach, who's done a great job in Chicago. It's such a strong defensive staff. I'm always going to be interested in the types of players they like because yeah. I think it it's just a good context. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. why do they like him? And when I my understanding of what they like in corners and the what I've read and seen with Sade Samuel Jr. is it makes total sense. Yeah. It's all instinctual recognition, being able to make plays downhill. Actual hand-eye coordination. He's not yes. a guy. He's not a. He's not a bad receiver that couldn't catch. So they just put him at corner. It's he's no. He's actually like 
can like track the ball. They don't want these guys who are 6'1", 210, that yeah. just are in people's grills the entire time and are pushing people around. That's not their biggest traits and their priorities for guys in the defensive secondary. They want guys that can play off, see it, see it happen, all of that. And he seems to be that. So those two guys, I think, fit perfectly what they're trying to do. And then you love... Josh Palmer, the receiver that they got in the third round, how do you think he fits with what Allen and Williams are for them right now? So Palmer was like a guy that I just kept watching and watching. It was just like he kept growing on me. I ended up with like an early fourth grade on him, but it was like one, late third, early fourth. But where they took him, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. For him, I even on my write-up, I was like, I think this guy could ascend as a pro if he gets put into a situation where he could be the power slot. You know, what we what I call a power slot, you know, the Godwin uh, Larry Fitzgerald role in a Bruce Arians offense, just a bigger slot guy. That's a blocker. And also can, it's more of a working underneath kind of type, not the classic twitchy Cole Beasley guy that we all picture by the way, almost slot guy. Where did Joe Lombardi just come from new Orleans who has Michael Thomas? Exactly. And so those, I see that with him because he, I, I think he timed about four or five and that's really what he is, but he, he has ball skills. He's tough. I would say he's an average to above average route runner. He runs high and leaves himself exposed a little bit. He's not overly twitchy, but he's, he has some explosiveness to him and he's tough and he has catching range. All those things are super useful over the middle of the field, you know, mm-hmm. cause he can extend, he can find soft pots and zone. He can actually go up and get it. If he's in the red zone, all of a sudden becomes a weapon in the red zone and in those intermediate areas. And I just think, and he also, he's a willing, willing blocker and tough, and he's just a competitive guy. So I just think this guy is going to be a better pro than he was in college. Tennessee was an awful situation for basically all their players. And this guy with Mike Williams and freaking Keenan Allen. And then this guy Palmer, who's a big body. I think he's six, one, about 210, 208, somewhere around there. That's a lot of big bodies for Justin Herbert. <laughs> I mean, th- that is that's really, really going to be like a really fun receiving core. And he has inside and outside versatility. I just think I just like that fit. It like made so much sense to me. And I was like, it's another big body. And I mean, that's hard to defend. Not a lot of teams have three corners that can keep up with three big bodies and ball winners too. Like this guy can be an inside ball winner. I really like it. I, you know, their other third rounder, Trey McKitty, I wasn't very high on. I had a seventh round grade on him. So I'll, I'll ignore that. That's all projection, right? You're just betting on traits and ability. Yeah. That is pure. They, I know what they saw. They, he has pop in his blocking. He has a natural pop, but he's a 243-pound wide tight end. So what you're what you're be- betting on is that he grows into his frame. It becomes more consistent. If it works, it's good. You get a nice solid wide tight end. It's just that you know I was a little lower on him. But other than that, their first three first three picks I loved. I really do. I just think Josh Palmer is just going to be a re- one of those guys that's a perfect situation for him. And I trust uh, um, Joe Lombardi and just what what they're going to do. And also he just doesn't have to be the guy he can, you know, he's got two other guys. He's got a true number one. Mike Williams is a good solid number two. It's like, that's just a really nice receiving room. And you'd think, you know, do they have that explosive element? I mean, they have Tyron Johnson there who played well for yeah. them last season. Yes. I mean, they yes, have too. speed on that, in that receiving core, because that's my concern is the size. Yeah. It, yes. And if you have the speed, if you have that side of it with Herbert and we saw how well he can push the ball downfield, but mm-hmm. they, that showed up over and over again last year. Those guys are still there. So yep. it just, again, you like how the pieces fit together. Yep. The other guy sense. they drafted that I am, am really curious about, and it's, it intrigues me is Chris Rumpf. The, he, yeah, he's an undersized. Like he's undersized. And so the question with him is, could he hold up as an edge guy in the league? But we've seen 
what the Rams did last year and how situationally they use some of their front seven players where it's like, okay, you could do this thing. Well, I'm going to have you do this thing. And yeah. that's why a guy like that, that has one specific skill, he's a very good pass rusher. And if you situationally, he could give you some juice up front. I think this is the perfect situation for him yeah. because it's a coaching staff that has shown a willingness to deploy guys only in ways that make sense for them. And construct their defense around the very specific skill sets of some of the players that they have. So I got he's a fourth round pick. You don't get too excited about it, but but in this defense, I'm curious to see how they use him. I mean if you get a if you get a designated hitter pass rusher like in the fourth round that gets you six sacks a year, you are like hugging everybody. You're hugging everybody. Like that is for a fourth round pick, that is what you want. I I, if you get a super role player in the fourth round, you are happy. So especially at a premium position. And I know they wanted to look at some other developmental interior linemen in the back half of the draft. They went and drafted Brendan Hymas from Nebraska in the fifth round. Brandon Thorne loved him. And he was talking about how a little undersized, play strength might be an issue, but really good feet, very solid. Guy puts on 20 pounds as a rookie, doesn't have to play. And now suddenly maybe you get a starting caliber interior offensive lineman a year from now, two years from now. So their plan during the draft was what I expected from them. And it seems like they hit a lot of the boxes that they wanted to. Yep. Next takeaway here. The Packers gave Aaron Rodgers some help. Will he be there to enjoy (laughs) it? We have not talked about this at all because Uh I was a terrible host and should have talked about it more on Saturday or Thursday, but I was very distracted early on during that podcast. What do we make of all this? So they get Josh Myers in the second round, the center from Ohio State. Theoretically, he can come in and start probably yeah. immediate, if, immediately if they keep Elton Jenkins at guard. You know That line then probably has five starting caliber players on it. They go get Amari Rodgers in the third round. I don't know how you feel about this. He seems to perfectly fit what they were missing. Yeah. I mean, he is not explosive, but interior guy can do a lot of different stuff over the middle of the field. I mean, that is a skill set that they just didn't have with any of the players on their roster last year. They had a lot of redundancy at receiver outside of Devontae Adams. This guy is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum from what people like MVS give them. You kind of nailed it. Yeah, I, I've described him as an efficient player. Like yes. he, he is efficient route runner. When he hits a ball in his hands, he's going to get the first down, but he might not create that explosive play. But guess what? It's useful. That is. And what I really liked about him. He's a jet sweep made, guy. This is where you yeah, draft a, a jet sweep guy. Yeah. Oh, weird. In the third round, right? Yeah. Jet sweep slot guy. Yeah. Uh, with a little bit of return ability. Yeah. He's, he's just a solid, solid player. I've compared him to Sterling Shepard. Um, I think that's that's the type of play. Just an efficient player that you, you might it. not... Oh yeah, you might not always draw up the play for him, but if the ball goes to him, you're like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, you know what? Also, I always stood out with me with Rogers, and it, it shows he's he's a football IQ guy, and you could see, you know, we can make about being a coach's kid. So of course, I'm gonna have bias. That's gonna show up on extended plays and scramble drill. If Aaron Rodgers is there and him with extended plays, sure. Hey, th- those guys have to find soft spots. That is like that's why those smart receivers have really stood with Aaron with Aaron Rodgers because he makes them work and find spots. This guy is good at that. He's he's tough. He's thick build. He's shorter. Like I, I think he's five ten flat, but he's built like two. I think he's two ten. Teams worked him out at running back, and it. So obviously the jet sweep stuff is going to be there, but also it's just like he has that thick build and he's tough. So it's like okay, that's make all. It makes all the sense in the world. It's another. They took him exactly where he should go. He's going to fit exactly what they need. He's not the most explosive player, but he's efficient, 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 and he's smart. So it just it, it makes a lot of sense that he ended up as a Packer. 
it's a skill set they've been missing in my mind for the last year. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it before last season and what their offense would look like. You just don't see that type of player on yep. their roster. They didn't they haven't had one of them. That's why I thought Curtis Samuel made sense for them. Yeah. Just a guy like that that they just it's been missing. They just haven't yeah. had that aspect of their offense. And they've been fine, obviously, but Aaron Jones was sprinting across the formation in motion yep. for them because that they needed somebody to do that. And I think that Rogers clearly fits that for them. Even the back even the back they took Kyle Kylan Hill in the seventh round. I mean yeah, that's a great player too. I, I don't. Like, I have I, no I, idea who that is. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's from Mississippi State. He uh, was, they switched to a Michael Leach offense this year, and so he just was. You know, it was not good. But his junior, he was first team All SEC as a running back. I mean, and it was legit. I, I had a fourth round grade on him. I just think he he. They, it's kind of a hat on a hat. Uh, all the backs they have in that room right in the now. Seventh round. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? And he's a three down running back. And it's like I, I mean, I, I think he's a very rosterable guy. I think ideally he's a backup in the league. But I mean, he, I think he could be a good number two in the league. So even that pick I liked a lot too. So they take Amari Rogers. We'll see if the other Rogers is on the roster come week one. I don't know what to make of all of this. I, I can understand. <laughs> yeah. You know it. It's the timing is not an accident. They nope. wanted to make this known. They wanted to pitch a fit about it. And I don't blame them. I mean, it, I, I've been asked about this a bunch of different places. If you were the best employee at your company for 10 years and, and a historically good one, somebody who nationally, nationally recognized. <laughs> yes. And they hired your replacement without discussing it with you as you were probably going to retire at some point soon. You'd be pissed. You'd be really, really mad. And I do think this is one of those areas where not having an owner and not having someone more concerned with that side of it probably comes into play. Like it's they're operating as though we're just worried about the team and the future and all this stuff. And I can get that. But at the same time, this dude won three MVP awards and a Super Bowl and is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He'd be more a part of that process if I were doing this than he seems to be in Green Bay. And all reports indicate that he's very mad. And yeah. I don't think that's unfounded. No. And I mean, shit, what he had to go through at the end of the McCarthy era. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even, it doesn't even matter what's happened the last couple of years. I would be... I'd be ticked off about what happened then. Um, yeah, it's one of those where you're trying to read the tea leaves and everything, but it's like, it, it's a long time coming. And I mean, it started, I think the last straw, I would say the last straw, but the kind of the last domino to fall was the last year's draft. And then it's just, ever since then, I think it's just been total FU mode. Uh, Aaron Rodgers yeah. has, and I think it's continued. And now it's just next, this is this year's draft. And like you said, it wasn't by accident. All this news broke this week. So I'm interested to see. Uh, I think you as a Bears fan are probably very interested to see. <laughs> but no, it's, it's it's a huge domino to fall because if he does end up on another team, that can change the landscape. I mean, that's going to change the landscape of everything. So it, it's it's interesting. I think the team that makes the most sense is still Denver. I agree. If you're looking at it, they they have no hesitation. Need, they have the motivation to do it. It's in the AFC, so maybe the Packers would be more receptive to that idea. Yep. I mean, I don't think they should trade him. I think they should just keep him and see how this all plays out. out. But if he, if he refuses to come back, he refuses to come back. If there's a guy who has enough money that he could just sit on like <laughs> smog and just go sit in his cave and count his coins for the next, however many years, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So he doesn't need to come back to the Packers at this stage of his career. If he doesn't want to, 
who knows how real all of that is? Who yeah. knows how real the report is that he wants Kuntz gone, that Charles Robinson from Yahoo reported before he comes back? All of this stuff, I'm sure we'll learn a ton more about it. I still, I, even talking about it seems like there's not much we can learn or not much we can yeah. figure out by talking through it. But I do think we should address it because it's going to be something hanging over the NFL offseason here for a while. Yes. Sticking with quarterbacks here, what do we make of the mini run on quarterbacks from 64 to 67? Kyle Trask goes 64th overall. I don't know if you knew, knew this, Nate. But Bruce Arians loves him a prototypical quarterback. <laughs> oh, my the God. Six, the 6'5", 230-pound guy going to Bruce Arians' team, odds were off the board in Vegas. You could not get that. <laughs> he he loves him so much, he makes his offensive coordinator the other 6'5". <laughs> like it's he's, really even, funny. He's, he, even he's the prototypical quarterback size. Um, how about the long snapper run we had in the draft, too? That was hilarious, too. Like, boom, 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 long snapper's going. But I, I think... That's the classic, uh, okay, we got to wait on this position. Hey, we, we don't have to take this guy yet. And then the one, finally, one guy takes that position and it's just and like everyone just plays. Oh, yep. we've all played, everyone that's played fantasy football knows it. It's the same thing. It's just, I wasn't a huge fan of any of these three guys. I had no, none of them higher than a middle fourth round grade. I think a Trask was the highest one, but it was like splitting hairs between these three. Trask, it's hilarious because yeah, he's big and tough and you got to be big and tough to play quarterback and area and scheme you just do you're taking a lot of hits you gotta be able to see the fall, ball downfield you can't be everything has to be on time and trask that's one thing he does do when everything goes well it's he throws the ball on time but i would say my my arm strength is about comparable to kyle trask which if you're 6'5 230 and can't really move very well and also don't have a strong arm it's it's, it's a little weird Stuff. Yeah, he can't run out of his own shadow. He's got big feet, not in the right, in the good way. And it's, uh, yeah, the arm strength is just, he has got a popcorn arm. It is what it is. So it, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's, he likes the idea of Kyle Trask maybe more than what I, Kyle Trask actually is, uh, I think would be the best way to put it. So that's obviously a long-term possible yeah. successor or just a backup for Tom Brady. I, I just knocked Trask, but I do think he could be a real good backup, but I just, sure. I don't, I don't really see the path to starter with him uh, if i'm being honest so a more immediate need might be yeah. in houston where they drafted mm -hmm. davis mills in the third round i don't know if this necessarily signals the end of deshaun watson's time in houston or if that's overstating it drafting a quarterback in the third round doesn't mean that you're moving on from your starter i mean mm -hmm. it's that you don't necessarily expect that guy to develop into a starting caliber quarterback especially in short order but this could mean something for mm -hmm. how they see Deshaun Watson. The fact that it was their first pick in the draft also is worth noting. If this was a team that, oh, in our, with our fifth selection, we drafted a quarterback in the third round. But the idea that this was the first pick they had might indicate that Deshaun Watson's time, for one reason or another, is going to be limited in Houston. I will say, trading up for Nico Collins, if you're Ooh. the Texans... I don't. I just don't know what the Texans are trying to accomplish at this point. And maybe yeah. they just thought he was so good that like we have all these, you know, later round picks, and we might as well just go get a guy who we think can be a starting caliber player for us. But their timeline is hard to read. It's just, everything about that situation is just difficult to understand. There's such an anomaly in so many ways that that that's why it's gonna be impossible to kind of go like, oh yeah, that makes sense for him, or like, oh, I can see. Uh, I could see the the timeline they're on. Like you just said, it's just like, yeah, you're guessing as long. Like it's a classic where 
a person reading Twitter knows 1%. We know 2% here. <laughs> like we, I barely know anything more. People like Mills. I wasn't high on him. Uh, I think, again, I think he's a backup type. Uh, my qualms with him was that for a guy that, you know, five-star guy, I get he had some serious injuries and, you know, and he's at Stanford though, uh, with a pretty, pretty dang good, uh, uh, or head coach and play caller there. And he's a later guy. It's not like he started as a freshman. He made a lot of kind of like head scratching. No, 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 no. Like decisions that I really want to want to see. I have a guy that some people are describing as polished player or polished passer. And also, you know, he had accuracy as, uh, I mean, he's not, I think he's, I think he's, fairly accurate he's pretty good accuracy but he had a couple spray balls that i'm like oh what are you doing like mechanically i thought just more polish for a guy that's supposed to being labeled as a polished guy um i know he has limited starts but it was like man i just was hoping to see some more consistency out of this i'm not a huge fan i i really don't see the starter potential with him but you know i think he does can be a good backup type problem is though if you have tyra you have tyron tyra taylor and yeah you you don't expect even if you don't expect to watson to be there in a year does drafting a third round pick that probably doesn't have a path to start for you. And if you're going to be bad, you're probably going to be looking for Watson's replacement high in the draft anyway. Are you yeah. wasting a pick at the top of the third round on a guy like are. Davis Mills? I think that's the question. I think they are. And that's it's still a third round pick. It's not a fifth round pick. You are hoping you can maybe find a starter or a contributor in a different position if you go that route at the top of the third round. So staying with that, Kellen Mond goes to Minnesota. Do you think this is a sign that they would like a guy with a lot more physical ability than somebody like Kirk Cousins has to potentially take over for Cousins down the road? Man, Spielman just like goes for athletes at any position, man. It's just like, (laughs) it doesn't matter what the position is, even quarterback. You know, Mond has his limitations. He's extremely robotic. Uh, and, and I think some of that is he he got overcoached a little bit from Jimbo Fisher, every quarterback that plays under Jimbo Fisher, you're going to get your mechanics tweaked, even warm-ups of the game day. I, I've been around Paul Chris, who doesn't say crap to you on game day, and then I get to, and then this is the complete opposite of that. And some of it's good, some of it's more like, hey, let the guy breathe a little bit and play football. So you almost have to like, un, you know, unscrew him a little bit and just kind of like, hey, yeah. relax, relax, relax. You see some traits there. I actually, less is more for him. Uh, I, and I think that's actually what a Kubiak offense will do. If he's going to succeed, this is the only offense I could see him succeeding in. Uh, I'll put it. That's a good way to sum it up. Um, again, I had none of these guys hired in the fourth round grade. So like him going in early third, it was like, okay, whatever. Um, you're always going to inflate it on the quarterback. He gets super locked in on stuff. He has a thinner frame. He's athletic, but he doesn't really create. Uh, uh, he's more straight line explosive than lateral twitchy. So he's a weird, weird watch. As far as for cousins and stuff, I don't think he has much to worry about um, for this year or next year. Uh, but I do think if Mond is going to, you know, that that whole bus bench starter star, if the path to starter or even star for Mond, this is this was his best chance to get it. Uh, because just in the offense that he's going to be in, they're going to just, it's going to be less is more. Just movement throws, one to two, use your athleticism. He throws a brute beautiful deep ball in a spiral it's just the problem is he never throws a deep ball and sometimes he gets locked in on number one and then he just can't create after that if everything plays out how he wants to see it it's great it's like oh my god really nice throw there but then the next three plays if oh my god he he's not a quick processor 
Well, that's why putting him in a, in an offense that points him in the right direction consistently might be the way Correct. to get the most out of him. That is like that is why if he is we're this is the one spot I really do think he could ascend, but um, it's still going to be it's it's still a long ways to go for him. Um, so really, with Cousins, don't think he has too much to worry about uh, as far as this year. But maybe he does. Maybe you know the Kubiak, Kubiak just unlocks something, and um, there is something there. You know, but he is a good athlete. He is good throwing on the move. Vikings also did take a couple of my favorite sleepers, but that's that's later in the draft. <laughs> so let's talk about that because okay. I want to. I think it's a potentially a big draft for them, and it's yeah. Maybe maybe it's not, but they had a lot. They had extra forts. They had extra thirds. They traded down to get Tr- Christian Derisaw, who they think is really talented. I mm-hmm. think will be their left tackle. So and then they got Wyatt Davis later in the draft, who people yeah. really his 2019 tape is good. You turn the 2020 yeah. tape and. You can tell he was just hurt. He looked like a different player. So to get that guy in the fourth round, and I think somebody who could start for them immediately at guard. So now you have a left tackle, a starting guard that allows Cleveland to stay at guard. You still have O'Neal. We'll see what happens with Bradbury. The line could be pretty good if those guys hit and can contribute early. Then we know we like the receivers with Thielen and Jefferson. We'll talk about another potential one of those here in a second. And so, and then they added... A uh, pass rusher in the middle of the draft. They added a the linebacker who's considered a developmental guy. Was a former quarterback in North Carolina, so that guy can come along slowly. It does really seem like they could build up the meat of their roster in a single draft here if some of these guys hit. I just I don't know why but you and I talk about them so much because they're consistently decent and they're always relevant. Their path to taking the final step is just something I spend a lot of time thinking about. And so yes. this this draft and what it, role it could play in that process, I, it's just something I'll be keeping an eye on. So the receiver they picked in the fifth round from Iowa, you like. Love. <laughs> uh, Amir Smith-Marset. Yeah, I I really, really like this guy. Um, I, I understand the limitations. He's 180 pounds. He's not, I think he ran a four or five flats. He's not the, like the most explosive or more, most athletic guy, but I mean, I just think this guy, uh, he has that natural spatial awareness and route running ability, just feel on routes that the good route runners have. Like he understands body control. He understands how to use his body. He stacks guys when he's getting vertical. Um, when he is, you know, running a, like a bang corner route, he settles, like he doesn't sprint out. And then all of a sudden he's at the sideline. He does all those kind of little things that like the good route runners do. Um, I kind of compared him to a poor man's Emmanuel Sanders. Do not say he's the same caliber player, but I, I had a high rate, like just think of that type of player. He was a dynamic kick returner. He won big 10 specialist of the year. Yeah. I think he had three kick return touchdowns in his career. God, you, you just love receivers <laughs> who were returners. Just guys. one of your things, you and Kevin Colbert, Actually, football player, like guys that actually can play football and then return kicks. I'm like, oh, punt returns more. Punt returns is really what I want to see. But yeah, kick returns, I do like it. Because honestly, it shows up. Even if you look, even if you're a box score scout, even if you don't watch this guy, and I know there's plenty of these guys out there, but even if you just look at their numbers and go, oh yeah, this guy was productive. Iowa's offense was not, it's not conducive to receiving stats overall. But look at his rushing numbers. He is insanely productive on all these jet sweeps and all these designer plays that they give him because none of them are wasted. They might only give him 12 to 15, but he gets out of fish or an explosive play every single time. They might not go to the distance, but he's getting 15 to 20 yards. He has that natural body control and spatial awareness. These kind of like good play. I mean, just these useful, effective players are. I don't think he's going to be a star star, but I do think he has the upside of being like a nice 
good number two or even a number three. In Minnesota, I thought it was a perfect landing spot. He went in the fifth. I had a third round grade on him. He went in the fifth. This doesn't surprise me where he went. Perfect situation. Uh, I mean, behind Thielen, he can return kicks and then maybe, you know, ascend from that point. Just does a lot of those it's little a diet things. version of what Schwartz can be for the Browns. Sim- same kind of thought process. Yeah, uh, yeah. This guy's a much better route runner, better with the ball in his hands. But okay. yes, yes, same, same, similar thought process. And and also with Smith Marseille, it's just so funny. He was a water polo player, and you can see. I know, his, I've seen you say that. It's so funny because you can see his core strength show up. Like you, like that's where that kind of body control comes in. It, I just really like this guy. Um, you know, I, I get why he dropped. I, I he had I think he had a DUI last year. Um, so that makes sense. So maybe there's some other stuff, you know, maturity stuff, but I like him. I really do think he could be a good pro or at least just a very useful pro. And that's what you're trying to find in these middle rounds. All right, let's get to some of our favorite drafts uh, beyond the teams we've already talked about. Just a couple here. Is there a team that we have not talked about that yet that you just really like what they did and the guys they came away with? I would say it's maybe like my favorite draft, but like I get what they're doing is what the lines were doing. Sure. Um, I, I, they are setting a culture. Even why I know that just obviously they built inside out. They, they went Lyman, I believe, with their first three picks. The first receiver they drafted is Amon Rossi Brown, who is a fit, uh, not the most athletic guy in the world, but tough and physical. And then in the, with the undrafted picks they had, I actually like their seventh round pick too, Jamar Jefferson. He has some injury stuff. He's not great in short yardage, but I think he can really ascend in his own scheme. But yeah, I thought he was going to go with the 49ers too. But anyways, even the undrafted receivers, because they had to draft, had to sign a whole bunch of undrafted receivers. They have nobody in that room. All the guys they signed were all big physical ball winners that all can block. And I was like, okay, they have a type. They're, they're, they're setting a tone. They're setting a culture. Is it the best thing to do? I don't know, but at least they have a uh, something they're going after. They're at least trying to set something and build something there. And I really like that. I like what the Bears did. I think the Bears knocked out. I had a lot of fun players they drafted. Not just you know Justin Fields. Have we talked about him once or twice? But you know Jenkins, Tevin Jenkins, um, Justice uh, Mosqueda, our friend, really liked Tonga in the seventh round. He people had high rounds grades on him. They took him in the seventh, which is great. Even these later picks they had with Khalil Herbert and Daz, uh, uh, Daz Newsom, I believe his last name. Yeah. With those guys, it's like, yeah, they have limitations and whatnot. They're not bad players. Like they might be limited, but it's like, okay, like they're, they're, they took a lot of guys that I like. I liked a lot of the guys that the Panthers took. Um, I like Tommy Tremble. I can really see that third round pick. And if Joe Brady, and it kind of looks like he is going this way, is building more of the 2019 LSU offense with 11 personnel being, you know, a primary thing, which they did a lot last year, but Tommy Tremble could be that Thaddeus Moss role where he's this, the off ball linebacker or off ball tight end. That is basically a de facto fullback as well. That's mm-hmm. what this guy is. It's a perfect fit. If they're going to use him, how I think uh, uh, people call it a sniffer role, uh, but why off is what I call it. That is a perfect fit for him if that is actually how they're going to use him. Like, it's like, oh my God, I could see the vision there. So, and they took a, a couple other guys on defense that I like, of course, with Horn and some other guys. And yeah, we already talked about the Chargers and even the Ravens. Uh, I like, I like the receivers they took and I like Ben Mason, the fullback they took. And of course, you know, Oa at the end of the first round, which we talked about, that's a great landing spot for him. That one made a lot of sense. And then, well, I know I just nailed off like eight teams. But, no, that's, uh, that's, what I, that's what I'm after here. The Chiefs just upgrading their offensive line. I mean, uh, hell, hell yeah. Like talk about I, knocking right a about fucking weekend week. out of a park. Yeah. Talk about knocking a weekend out of the park. That's what they just did. They, 
clearly are sitting there saying, if our offensive line has five workable players, we're the best team. We know that. And that's yeah. how they did it this offseason. And I, I can't blame them necessarily. I think that they probably overpaid in a couple different spots here, mm-hmm. whether it was for Tooney or the, you know, the, some, of the, some of the aggressiveness in the way that they've overreacted or stretched a little bit too far on specific needs, I think is... We don't talk about it as much because they have Patrick Mahomes and it matters less when you screw up if you have Patrick Mahomes. Makes everything smell better, baby. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, uh, well, hold on real quick. To, hold on with the Chiefs too. I actually like their middle round skill guys they took. Noah Gray, I think could be like a, a kind of Trey Burton type of player. Okay. Like I, I I really like, I liked him. He's undersized. He has short arms. He is what he is. He's a, he's an F. Duke used him as their fullback because he's tough and he has great eyes. It's just that he's limited. It, it, it is what it is. But if one team's going to use them in the right way, Kansas City Chiefs are. They know how to handle limited tight ends. And also, Cornell Powell, I think, is just going to be a good pro. Um, I, I think he's always just going to be a number three, number four type. But it makes sense for what they have. He went to a situation where he gives them something different because he's not a true speed guy. He's he's going to bring a little bit of glue guy toughness. You know, to, He's like a Marcus Smart of the receiving room. Like He's just going nice. to bring that kind of, kind of like that to the room. And I, I like that. All right, so I think the Bears probably deserve to be on this list. Yeah, I they're undeniably better on offense. <laughs> I, the people like the corner that they drafted out of Oregon in the sixth round, which I've read about too. Thomas Graham Jr. was a guy who was productive in college and is somebody that potentially could could be a fine for them. But sticking mm-hmm. at the top of the draft, if you come away with a guy who could potentially be your long term quarterback, even trading up in a future first round pick to get him is a good thing. The Jenkins thing. This team trades up too much for my liking uh, about for yeah. non-quarterbacks, and I don't like rewarding them or encouraging this behavior, but they traded the equivalent of a fourth-round pick to move up for Jenkins. When you're thinking about the urgency for this staff, the glaring need they had at right tackle, the fall-off that pro- was, would happen after him, if you look at the position and where he yes. was projected to be drafted... That is very important to note. <laughs> you can understand it. If you think that's got, this guy is right there in line with Derisaw and that group, and it's a group of four that can be true starters and talented guys at day one, which he could be, mm-hmm. I can understand it. Their offense is a lot better right now than it was a week ago, and they have two guys that could be high-end starters for them. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last few days and how excited I should be for it and talking myself into certain things. And My only concern here is what these moves say about and how they inform the timeline for the franchise. I'm concerned about whether this team, this regime on the front office and the coaching staff, how much time they're going to have. Because if this is a situation where if they go seven and nine this year and get fired, is it the same thing as 2018 where you draft a quarterback in the first round, you have a new coaching staff come in that didn't pick this guy and now they're forced to work with him. I think Justin Fields is supremely talented and that most staffs would probably find something to get excited about with him, but it's still something to think about. But I still think even with that concern and that consideration, this is a team that needed to do something drastic to break the cycle. So this is June of 2020 that I wrote this after they traded for Nick Foles. They were mired in the middle, and there was not a clear way out. I figured they'd be in somewhere in the middle of the pack. They'd pick in the back half of the first round and probably be doing this all over again. 
And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> they finished right. eight and eight. They were picking 20th overall. They signed Andy Dalton in free agency. They were fishing in the same pond of the same five guys that are quasi available every offseason at quarterback. And they were living the quarterback purgatory life that they've lived for far too long. And that life sucks. Just ask the Broncos what they're doing right now. Yeah. T- trading oh for God. Teddy Bridgewater. They're fishing in the same pond. It's not fun. They needed to do something drastic to get out of it. The Russell Wilson thing was an option that was probably never real, but you can understand why they'd wanted to. And this thing with Fields breaks the wheel. It gets you out of that. And even if there are imperfections with the timeline and being linked to this front office and this coaching staff, even if you're worried that Matt Nagy probably shouldn't get another chance to do this with another quarterback, because I was of the opinion for a long time that... Mitchell Trubisky short-circuited Matt Nagy. You just, it's hard to call an offense and it's hard to construct an offense for a Broke guy you a don't trust. Yeah. But when you go and get Nick Foles, who's your guy that you traded for, and the offense looks worse, how many different types of quarterbacks do we need to see with this group for us to have confidence in their ability to solve this thing? And I still have serious doubts about that. And if it doesn't work and they do need to move on to another staff or they're is more uncertainty going into next year. You're concerned about that. But at the same time, something needed to happen to start over, to reset this thing. And I do think this is the move that is could potentially reset it. So I have tepid optimism because I still think there are serious questions oh, about yeah. some of the rest of the offensive personnel and about this staff's ability to get the most out of this quarterback and everything else. But again, they need to do something to smash the wheel and start over. And I do think this move to go get Justin Fields and even to go get the tackle to a certain extent is that it is drastic in a way that needed to be drastic. So we'll see how it ends up playing out. But it just it felt necessary to me in some way. It, oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've cracked the joke about it. Where we just did about Mahomes makes everything smell better. If you hit on the quarterback. Yes. It's it's great. It's like it's but the great. difference yeah. is right. We knew Andy Reid would be there for the next ten years when they did this for Holmes. Very it, true. This is different than that, and I think it's probably. So, I mean, it's maybe it's a reason that the Broncos didn't want to commit to Fields because they don't know how longer how much longer Fangio is going to be there. Stuff yeah. like that. It's hard to commit to a quarterback when you don't know who if there's not continuity on the staff and it, all of that stuff. So I think that is the one thing that's kind of been in my mind over the last few days is. Even if I'm excited about this guy, am I excited about the people who are tasked with getting the most out of him? And that is, that's going to be on my mind until we see what the results look like. So speaking of the Broncos, though, if we're talking about teams with drafts we liked, they came away with players people really like. Sertan going to get to Javante Williams, Quinn Miners in the third round. I mean, they there are players on that team. They are set up with this roster in a very fun way. And another team you mentioned, I think it's really easy to get excited about the Panthers and the guys that they added. Even if we have questions about Horn and scheme fit and all of that, clearly a talented guy they needed. Yeah. They needed an injection of talent at corner. Them dropping Terrace Marshall into this scenario with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, that could be really exciting. And, and a coach that knows what he is. That's exactly. the thing. That was the thing with my, my hesitation with Marshall. You could see the talent. But he was just so inconsistent. And it was just yep. like, oh, man, this guy's going to get somebody fired. They took him exactly where he should go. 
Yeah, they took him exact end of second, the early third. That's where he should have gone. And also, they went with his old offense coordinator, who did maximize his talent before. I was like, yes, fine, I I am fine with that. And we haven't even talked about Davion Nixon, who I know had off field stuff, but that is a talented defensive tackle they got in the middle rounds too. Who I know friends of mine who have watched these guys love them. I took a peek at them because I was like, had a couple days, and I was like, yeah, I see the talent. Um, but I I do you know, but it's like okay, they're. That that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's that's a couple guys that are really tantalizing, and you could just see the vision. And I've already gushed about Tommy Tremble, and then yeah, and the Brady Christensen. I know some people like as well. That to me is the biggest question. It, I, right. I have a feeling that Marshall will be fine. What role does Christensen fill for them? Because yeah. I don't know if he's a left tackle in the league. Again, length concerns, but I do think he could be a useful piece for them. So how do those five? guys come together along the line and what role does Christensen play if some way he is their left tackle and he's functional there I think it gets really interesting I mean to yeah. be able to add those all of those pieces and what we, I mean obviously the Darnold question is a huge question but the other spots I think that they could have helped themselves in a big way with some of these picks that they made all right before we get out of here I wanted to ask you because you've spent so much time watching these guys do you have two or three favorite kind of underrated or under the radar skill position fits that you're excited to watch. Do I? Uh, yeah. So besides <laughs> Josh Palmer and Elijah Moore, which we've already touched on, um, you know, kind of some middle round or, or later round guys. I really like Diami Brown with Washington. That, uh, that's going to be took, awesome. They took him perfect. Exactly where he should go. Great skill set match with Scary Terry. Loved it. He's going to be useful. He's going to be and useful pro no matter what. slide Curtis Samuel inside if those three side, guys are on the field exactly. at the same time. Love that pick. That one I, I really liked. I already talked about Powell and Noah Gray with the Chiefs. I just thought that was great. Kylan Granson with the Colts, another guy I compared to Trey Burton, just to give you kind of like a snapshot of what he is. They took him in the fourth. I get it. That's a situation that's perfect for him because all the tight end looks they like. And just also, you know, he's not going to have to be a Y or straight F right away because he's he could be useful on teams and then they can package him. And I, I, they have a coach and, and a system that I, I like for that. Other kind of, I liked Rondell Moore with the Cardinals. Um, do I always trust Cliff? No, but I like that fit. I it made it all the sense in the world to me. He can exactly the type of skill set that they needed. It's what they needed so bad. Explosive play. He doesn't have to be the true receiver. They can guide him along and get him to you know he can be a package play guy. This is where you take package play guys. You don't take him in the top twenty or even in the first round. You take him in the middle of the second on a team that already has outside weapons, and that that made so much sense to me. Kind of later later round guys, I really like. Frank Darby with the Falcons. He's a deep ball guy. He plays faster than his time speed. Six-round pick. He's going to be a role player, but I actually do like him. I like that fit. And then the last one, uh, Elijah Mitchell with the 49ers. This guy, I wrote him up. He's not the greatest running back in the world, but he can do one thing really well. He's got speed, and he can play his foot and get north. And guess what What kind of system that works in? A zone scheme. And guess where he ended up? The San Francisco 49ers under Kyle Shanahan. So I... That's a guy that I think could ascend in this type of offense. Again, it's a guy that's like he'll have those two or three games where he runs for a hundred yards, and then you don't hear from him for six games. Like that—that's what this type of guy is. They like, also it, drafted Trey, Trey Sermon, which I so know. Trey Sermon's the better player, uh, but he is more scheme proofy. Like kind of like he's a good football player as opposed to like a zone running demon. And then Elijah Mitchell is like the home run hitter zone rudder but he's not a good football player <laughs> so that's like it's one of those things where it's like i like the fit of mitchell better but i like trey sermon as a better football player and a more useful football player and um, for all three downs 
They drafted Aaron Brooks or Aaron Brooks. They drafted Aaron Banks, <laughs> uh, the guard from Notre Dame in the second round, higher than some people expected. But uh-huh. they had a need on the interior of the offensive line. They have Trey Lance there now. They have Trey Sermon there now. This running game could look real fun if Banks oh hits. My God. And th- and that this is a really interesting group. So Atlanta, obviously Kyle Pitts. And then they drafted Richie Grant in the second round, which they needed yep. help in the secondary desperately. So that understandable. They drafted uh, ba- Jalen Mayfield, and they also drafted uh, Drew Dahlman, who is the center from Stanford that fits yes. in his own scheme. So I don't great fit. So Hennessy was you know when they took him last year in the third round was kind of billed as the heir apparent to Alex Mack, but this is a new regime. He was a third round pick. If they think Dalman could eventually be their center, and they think Mayfield can play guard, now okay, like do we have five yeah. starting guys among that group? You drop Pitts in there. We obviously know the other skill position talent. I mean, it's not hard to get real interested in what the Falcons might be doing on offense here. Some of this works out. Wait till you see the little tiny running back that they signed as an undrafted free agent, JV and Hawkins. This guy is a zone running machine. He's 180 pounds, like 181 pounds. And they 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 got him as an undrafted free agent. He signs with the Falcons, though. Uh, it's like, I'm going to keep a tab on this guy just because it's like he went to a situation that could work for him. He's never going to be a 20 carry guy, but he's going to be exciting. I, I really do think he's going to be an exciting player. Um, that's another guy that it's like, okay, all right. The Falcons, they're they're. Like it's not the stars, but they're the little little pieces they're adding. It's like, okay, I'm seeing what you're doing down there. You know, I see I I I'm real that I mean this is this is exciting. There's so many sweet changes that have happened quarterback and scheme wise and now these players. That's like I'm really excited to see what uh some of these offenses they're gonna unfold this year. So one thing last thing to hit before we get out of here. Some of the needs that were not addressed that are still pretty glaring, especially for teams that might be trying to contend for a Super Bowl or for the playoffs. Sam Tevy is the Colts' left tackle right now. They did not come away with a left tackle in the first couple rounds of the draft. We'll see what happens with the veteran market at that position. You know, guys like Eric Fisher are still going to be available. Villanueva was reported to be signing with the Ravens. That hasn't happened yet. So, is that something that's a done deal or whatever? Do they roll with Tevy? Do they think they can go get a guy like Eric Fisher in August when the medicals are a little bit uh, more certain? So, that is a huge need or just a, a huge question mark at the very least for a team that otherwise has a lot of talent and is set up to compete right now. The Titans, A.J. Brown might get 500 targets this year. Oh, my God. I mean, right. they signed Josh Reynolds in free agency, but for the most part, their wide receiver room is still very, very thin. Do they go make a play for somebody after some of these pieces have been added? Mm-hmm. Same question with me and the Bears. If they trade Anthony Miller, which they've been trying to forever, or they just let him go, Who's the third receiver on this team going to be? They signed Marquise Goodwin, but is there somebody else out there on the market that they might be able to go get? So is there anything else? Any other needs that are still to you are just glaring after the draft happened? The, I shocked the Rams didn't add any offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, I thought they were primed to add one maybe in the second or third. Uh, that kind of surprised me a little bit. And they also went with Tutu Atwell, who is a fine role player, um, but I just don't see as a second round pick. Um, he's 148 pounds. That that kind of has something to do with it. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but I think that was I thought they were going to go offensive line these middle rounds. So I was kind of that one surprised me a little bit. Um, other than that, you know, maybe the Seahawks going with the receiver with their first pick. 
Uh, I get, you know, uh, I think some people are like, oh, they need a number three receiver. It's like they need they need more than that, buddy. <laughs> um, then, but it, that's that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that usually when I I'm gonna say, oh yeah, they missed out on this. It's probably gonna have to do with offensive line help because I just you can never have too many. All right, that is all we got. Uh, that is all we'll have for this week. That's our last draft centric podcast. It's been a very fun month. Sincerely appreciate all the time you guys have spent with us. Nate and I will be back as we kick off our off-season coverage here in a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to take the rest of the week off. Next week, me and Lindsay are going to do a show. Probably just going to do a mailbag, off-season questions, looking forward a little bit. And then the week after that, we're going to start the series of shows that we have planned for the off-season. So a lot of stuff on tap that I am very excited about. So... We'll be back next week with Lindsay. Until then, thank you guys very much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic. We're still going to be having tons of great post-draft coverage coming your way. I'm going to be writing a little bit later this week. Obviously, we have so many team writers breaking down the specifics of this stuff. Theathletic.com slash football show. Seriously recommend that you guys pick up a subscription. We'll be back next week. Until then, thank you for listening to The Athletic Football Show. Talk to you guys later. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, baseball fans. This is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, Join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.